Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. Hey, Refuge, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Uh, here's what we're going to do. So we're, we're doing this No Good Apart From God series. We're really talking through our values and the, the things we value. Last week, you heard, um, heard me say, go, not grow, is the call of every Christian. And I, I said, hey, uh, if you're going to write some notes down that on this gold, this is gold dot, you might write the words, go, not grow. Well, this morning, uh, here's what I'd love for you to write. Or maybe if you're watching this later, I'd love for you to write uh, discipleship, starts at home. Just this idea that discipleship and that being a disciple and discipling others and, and understanding discipleship, that it starts at home. Uh, go ahead and write that down. Pray with me when we're done praying, man. We'll, we'll jump into Deuteronomy chapter 6. God, we love you, and we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we pray now that your word would convict, God would stir our, uh, our affections for Jesus um, God, lead us to holiness. God, and that you would call us to obedience and faithfulness. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Several years ago, um, I was at home on a, I think it was a Sunday morning, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I happened to look out the back window, um, of, and I saw my son um, uh, at the time, my youngest son. Um, uh, he was outside, and I, I hollered out and said, hey, would you grab the pool toys out of the pool before we leave for church? Uh, just so we can have everything out of the pool. Didn't think twice about it. He said, yes, sir, dad, and, and uh, he, he goes to do that. Um, it was winter. We, it was not a time to swim, whatever winter is in Florida anyway. And as I looked out, um, just a kind of second later, he hadn't come in yet, and I saw him getting out of the pool. Um, and I was like, what in the world? I thought maybe he had jumped in, and so I could kind of go jogging out there. Hey, man, it's too cold to be out here. And he looks up just frightened. And I said, what happened, bud? And he said, I was reaching over to get this ball, and I fell in the pool. And I fell in the deep end. And Ezra wasn't a great swimmer yet. And, and uh, in that moment, I just, I, just, I, I kind of had this internal panic. All the fears that a parent thinks went through my head that my son fell in the pool because of something I asked him to do. And, and for a moment, he was scared. And for a moment, there was danger. And for a moment, meant there was uncertainty. And because of the thing that I asked him to do, all of a sudden, his life was put in danger. Um, well, the thing that was even the craziest was uh, the house we were living at the time, not our current house, we actually had a pool fence that I had, just to be frank, had not put up. I'd been lazy. Um, and so I uh, get him inside, get him dried off, hot shower, um, and then I walk outside immediately and I put that pool fence up. Uh, spent an hour, two hours that morning doing what I needed to do to put that pool fence up, but, but I, I neglected to do it. And really, my putting the pool fence up was reactionary. I should have been up the whole time, but the reality was I, I didn't do it. I just neglected it. And then, and then it was time to put the pool fence up. And the crazy part is we, we had the pool fence. It was right there. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about my reaction to the pool fence, I mean, the truth is I should have had it up. And the truth is my wife had actually encouraged me to put it up a few times, and I'd thought, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next week. And all of a sudden, you know, it had been six weeks, six months kind of a thing. That my 
my response and my desire to put a pool fence up was totally reactionary. And, and here's, here's the point of that, that story is, is oftentimes discipleship, my experience with Christians, that oftentimes discipleship is purely reactionary. Something happens that causes me, A, to become a disciple or, or attempt to become a better disciple. Something happens that causes me to want to disciple others, specifically those in my home. That, that out of a reaction, and sometimes those reactions are positive, that God lays it on my heart to do this, but sometimes, and really so often, it's negative. It's, oh my gosh, I see them struggling. Now let me come into their life and bring truth and bring grace and bring God's love and bring discipleship. So often our discipleship efforts are reactionary. And making disciples, and by definition, discipleship is not and cannot be reactionary. Deuteronomy 6 is going to lay this out for us. But discipleship, specifically discipleship at home, is not and cannot be reactionary. It can't be, oh, now we have a problem. Now I've got to make a disciple of my kids, of my family, of those in my home, of those around my home. Now that things are falling apart, we're going to go after them and make disciples. Yet this is, the, the, this is, this is kind of the posture of so many Christians. I'm going to make disciples because of something that happened. I mean, listen, our children are falling in love with everything but the gospel, it seems, in our culture. And so often they're choosing flesh over the Lord. And we have the gospel that is better and protects, and for some reason, we're not offering it. We're just not. And so I have a couple questions. We're going to talk about this idea of discipleship starting at home today. And, and, and I don't want you to think that I have to have kids for this message to matter because maybe you have roommates and maybe you have like friends next door. Maybe you have neighbors that need to be discipled. I don't know who God has placed in and, and near your home, but discipleship starts at home really means two things. It means number one, it starts with me. And then number two, it starts with those who are around me. So as you, as you hear me process through this message today, please don't hear, oh, he's talking about being a mom or a dad and I'm not one of those or I'm not one of those anymore but think about in terms of discipleship is always, A, it starts with me. Discipleship at home starts with me. Discipleship at home starts with those who are around me. So a couple questions, men. Are you too busy to share the gospel at home? As we said last week, the thing that keeps us from being obedient and faithful really above all else is, is busyness. Is that we, we say yes to things that cause us to say no to things that are way more important. That, that we don't manage our time well enough and therefore, we're too busy and end up being too tired. Are you too busy to make disciples at home? Are you home enough? So discipleship starts at home. It starts with me. And if it starts with me, there's got to be an active relationship with God. There's got to be an opportunity for me to pray. And not only the opportunity, but the commitment, the space, the time to pray, to study God's word, to worship there's got to be time carved out in my schedule that is committed solely to getting to know God better and more intimately. And the reality is, man, COVID, one of, the, one, of the, one of the challenging, good, hard, terrible things of COVID was the fact that it revealed in the lives of so many Christians, they are not carving out personal time with God. Therefore, when church was removed and other discipleship efforts were removed, they were left floundering. Listen, I cannot disciple others and what I am not actively discipling myself in. I can't expect others to be holy if I'm not holy. I can't expect others to read, memorize, know God's word, study God's word if I'm not doing it. I can't expect others to pray if, if I'm not doing it. 
And here's the thing. More is caught than taught. This is, this is, this is just one of those things we know. And if that's the case, then, then here's the question. What am I modeling? If discipleship at home starts with me, what am I modeling? What am I modeling? What do others see in me that they want to emulate? Just a few weeks ago when the Jaguars played their first game of the season, we got home from church. My son walked in, flips the TV on, turns the Jags on, turns the volume and goes, look, dad, we're ready. What did I model? That that was something that we valued in our home. Whether it's good or not, I had modeled that. And now they had it built and established in them. Listen, and if you don't have children again, or don't have children yet, this is not the point. The point is discipleship. So it starts with me, and then it starts with those God has placed around me. Last week we said go, not grow. This week we're saying here's what this looks like. Who has God placed around you? Who do you interact with? Who do you see on a regular basis? Who do you wave out of your kitchen window at? Who do you see when you go to the mailbox? Who do you see when you pull out of the driveway? Who do you see at the kitchen table? Who do you see and tuck in at night? These are the people that God has placed around you. Who do you encounter? Who can you list by name that you should be and maybe are praying for in hopes that they'll respond to the gospel? These are those that God has placed around you and these are those that God is calling you to make disciples of. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we're going to look at about 9 or 10 verses. So, so I want you to I want to point out just one thing before we jump in. Notice what's right before chapter 6. Notice the importance placed. Here's the Ten Commandments, now here's something else. Here's the Ten Commandments, now here's this message. The Ten Commandments are obviously super important. And right next to him you get the greatest commandment. So he says this, now this is the commandment the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it. Verse 1, here is what God wants you to know. What do we say? Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. What is Matthew 22? And the second one is like it, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said these when he was asked, what is the greatest command? And then we get the calling, which is Matthew 28. Go, not grow. And right here, here's what God wants you to know. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, that by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. He says, fear the Lord. You, your son, and your son's sons. He says, three generations. He says, my call is to love God and to share this with my son and my son's son. My calling is to hand down my faith. A discipleship starts at home. I I hand down my faith. To make disciples, I must be a disciple. And I do that by handing down my faith. It starts with me, and it starts with those who are around me. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing of milk and honey. He says, be careful to do them. Be careful to do the commandments and statutes I give you this day. Be careful to follow them. Be intentional, he's saying. Have a plan. Place godly things 
in your midst and place godly things in the midst of those that God has placed around you. Be intentional about what you allow in the home and what you don't allow in the home. Be intentional about how you honor God and about the things that don't dishonor God being removed from your life and your home. Be intentional about these things. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So he's saying, pass this down. Here's the message. Here's the thing that you need to be about because it starts with you. And then you need to pass around and pass down, excuse me, because it's those who are around you that you would love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Like you would genuinely love God with all of it, with everything that is about you that you would love God. I'm called to love God first and foremost. I'm called to love God. So the question we've got to know is, what stirs my affections for Jesus? For me, a hot cup of coffee, getting up early, my Bible, journal, some good worship music. These are things that stir my affections for Jesus. I'm listening to this new album by this band group artist. I don't know what they are, but they're called Maverick City. And the, man, just this morning, I'm being stirred for Christ because of the very words in the song. And this is leading me to love God more. And then teach my children to do this. So I'm talking with my boys right now of what it looks like to be men of valor. That in the Old Testament you get these phrases that there's a man of valor or a man of courage or that you are a worthless fellow, that you're one or the other. And so I'm trying to A, model that and then B, place it before them and then encourage them in it and continue to remind them. My wife, I hear them all the time. She's saying to them, small obediences, small obediences, small obediences. She's saying that small obediences lead to a life of large obediences. And have you said it to your children? Have you said, love God, and do you have a plan to show them what it looks like? It starts with me. Discipleship cannot happen, and it does not happen if I'm not a disciple first. That when my affections for Jesus are strong and are stirred, they will overflow into the lives of others around me. Which also means the opposite is true. When my men affections for Jesus are stagnant, they're not going to overflow into the lives of others. There is, there is in us a calling for all of us to seek God out on our own. To not sit back and wait. I hope someone pours into me. I hope someone encourages me. I hope that, no, man, there are times I have to go after Jesus, pursuing him where he is, because the Bible says, when I seek him, there he may be found. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, he says, teach them diligently to your children. When you sit in your house, pray, pray for missionaries, pray for pastors, talk missions, talk places you want to go. Talk about the place God has laid on your heart. Ask good questions. Always look for opportunities, man, to weave the gospel and to weave loving God back in there. It says, when you walk by the way, it says, when you lie down, when you rise, he says every place, every time, every activity, the command is simple in everything we do with our kids, with our family, and with those God has placed around us. To love God, because that's the first call for us, and then to teach them and show them and model for them and talk to them about how to love God as well with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. Again, if our families, though, are too busy to include this, our families are too busy. And we're busy with the wrong things. 
if what we're doing is not teaching love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, we've got to do something different. If what we're doing is not teaching that, we've got to do something different. Verse 8, not only shall you talk about it, not only shall you know it and model it, what does it say? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. He says even physical reminders. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Man, is your scripture surrounded, is your home surrounded with scripture and with the things of God? Reminders. He told them as a command literally to do this. You forget far too easily. Listen, one of the best things you can do is surround your home with scripture. Recently, somebody bought us a plaque that says Psalm 91, referring to God as our refuge. That's up in our house. We have Galatians 2.20 up in our house. As you walk in the kitchen, you see it. My wife has taped little index cards full of scripture all over the kitchen window kind of a thing. You can't even see out the window anymore. You just see scripture. There are, there are things we have brought home from mission trips as a reminder of what God's doing and taking the gospel to the nations. Man, what we put in our home is so much more than the cute things at Hobby Lobby. But do they have value and do they point us man, to loving God more? Does Discipleship at home, man, it starts with me and it starts with those who God has placed around me. It takes effort, it takes reminding, it takes reminders, it takes intentionality, it takes sacrifices, it takes time, it takes being home, it takes being available, it takes not being alone, but being willing to pour out. I know for me, it takes setting reminders in my home, even just to specifically pray, because I'd rather have the shame personally of not remembering, right? Of, of remember, excuse me, of having a reminder than not remembering and not doing it at all. He's saying we forget so easily. Why would we not surround our lives with things that are going to remind us? So I'd, I'd give you four things to write down. The first thing is that salvation begins at home. Salvation begins at home. We share the gospel at home. We begin to plant gospel seeds into the lives of those around us in our home. We have so many people today walking around with a testimony that includes, I raised my hand at VBS or at camp or on a mission trip. And what if it, in 20, 30 years, it's, man, yeah, my parents talked about Jesus a lot and I wanted to know that Jesus. The place of importance that you place the gospel in your home will communicate to your children how important the gospel really is. Look at me. What we allow in our home matters. What your kids see you watching or what you think you're hiding from them, allowing into your home matters. Why would you let that darkness and evil into your home? Salvation begins at home. Listen, I, I would also add, and I read this in a book recently and it just made a lot of sense. I mean, it is a good and godly thing for our children, because of discipleship, to be righteously abnormal, to be rejected by the culture, to maybe be rejected by friends, not because we want them to be rejected, but because we want them to walk away from things that aren't holy and walk towards things that are godly. Listen, number two, um, write this down. Worship begins at home. So salvation begins at home. Worship begins at home. Worship God at home. Turn on worship music. Play it so much it annoys them. Let your kids see it. Teach your kids how to do it. Do it with them. Because here's the thing. What we worship, our kids are likely to worship. And what we neglect, our kids are likely to neglect. What I worship, my kids are likely to worship. And what I neglect, my kids are likely to neglect. Number three, we said this over and over this morning, discipleship begins at home. Salvation, number one, begins at home. Worship begins at home. Number three, salvation begins at home. 
He says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Listen, sit with, the, the, the thing that I hear from parents is I don't know how to teach them the Bible. Like we said this last week, open it up and just start sharing with them, A, what Jesus taught, because this is what he said to us in Matthew 28. But also, if I'm intentionally discipling myself, sitting at my table, walking with God, specifically intentionally at home, I will always have something to say. But the reverse is true. If I'm not doing that, I won't have anything to say. So maybe the reason you don't have anything to say is because there's nothing in you worth coming out. Put something in. I read it this way this week, man. Look at, look at four ways to do this for discipleship. Number one, look at time. Intentional time. Try to have family devotions. It's hard. It's challenging. It's confusing. Listen, in my home, I've got a 16-year-old, 11-year-old, 10-year-old, 3-year-old, 1-year-old. My family devotions are all over the map. We try to pull one off on the weekends once a week, and we do our best to make it good. But man, sometimes it hits, and oftentimes it doesn't, and usually some kid loses their mind, and then one of the parents is all up in the flesh. This is how these things go. I also think along with time, make time, set aside time, and begin now to teach your kids to say no. Maybe some coaches need to hear no. They're going to church. They're not going to be there on Sunday. Second thing is moments. Man, find moments to celebrate and to disciple. Holidays, birthdays, special ages. Maybe instead of big, blowed-out, sweet 16 MTV-style party, maybe it's an opportunity to speak truth into sweet 16. Milestones, salvation, baptism, job, driving, missions, camp. These are opportunities to disciple. And then modeling what they see in you. Go before your family. Willfully or not, all parents are perpetually discipling the children around them. We are always making disciples. Are we making disciples of Jesus is the question. You and I are always making disciples. All those around us. But the question is, are we making disciples of Jesus? And the fourth thing, missions begins at home. So salvation begins at home. Worship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. And then missions begins at home. So many of us celebrate worldly success and strive hard for it and do very well as a result. And if we believe the gospel... We will see the importance of missions and place it up there with those other worldly successes, like being a doctor or lawyer. And we'll say, man, missions is an even higher goal to attain to. What if we begin preparing our children for some sort of mission? What if we said from the out, out game, man, we're gonna, when you graduate from college, we want you to spend two years overseas giving your life to missions. What if we said, hey, when you get that first job out of high school or out of college, what if you do it intentionally on mission somewhere where the gospel is not? Celebrating missions in your home and then your children will also celebrate it one day. Ignore missions in your home, and your children will also ignore it one day. Psalm 127 is, is, is specifically about this. It says in verse 4, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, for he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. He says children should be like arrows. What do you do with arrows? You send them. You send them. Where do you send them? You send them to do something. And he says, he says, he says like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And we've got to view our children as, as arrows that one day we are going to send. 
we are going to release. And if we're not intentional and we're not purposeful and we're not making disciples, what we release them to and what they go and do might be two different things, but they have a purpose to take the gospel where it's not. And so when we release them and send them, man, that, that would be such a part of their focus. I'll tell you a story um, that maybe emphasizes these things. Several years ago, um, we, uh, several years ago, uh, maybe approaching 10 years ago now, we, um, long story short, we tried to adopt a little girl from Latvia. Her name was Kate. Um, and we tried to adopt this little girl from Latvia. We brought her in her home in uh, May, I think late May, um, one summer. And the plan was bring her in her home. And while she's in your home, begin to fundraise, begin to do the paperwork, those kinds of things, in hopes that she'll become your daughter. We pick her up from the airport in Atlanta. We're living in South Georgia at the time. Pick her up. She walks from the terminal to us and looks at us and says, Ma, Da, those were only two English words. And both Beth and I looked at each other like, well, uh, you know, we didn't really know how to respond. And that summer she became our daughter. Her and our daughter Hannah became best friends and sisters. They loved each other. They had matching outfits. They spent all their time together. Well, we had this date circled on the calendar that we had to have so much money and some other things by this certain date or, or, or we didn't really know what would take place. And so as the summer went on and we started looking towards August and that date, we began to kind of think if we don't have this absorbent amount of money by August 10th or so, we've got to send her back. I mean, like, this is insane. Well, I would walk to the mailbox each day expecting to open the mailbox and see fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 just laying there. I just knew that God was going to make this happen because our daughter was there. Well, that date got closer, and we we're flipping the calendar to August, and I'm going, okay. And we began to have to make plans, and I didn't want to make plans. And we came down to the day, and, 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 and really it came down to we had to drive her back to Atlanta, put her back on an airplane, send her back to the orphanage in Latvia she had come from, where she was 10 at the time, when she turned 16, she would be given the equivalence of $20 in cent kind of packing. And something like 90% of children that are at 16 leave, an, leave a Latvian orphanage with those $20 end up in A, human trafficking, or B, homeless. And very few make it to the age of 18. So like, we just knew that God wanted to do something. We put her on a plane, we send her back. And, and, and the thing that I remember was walking after she walked to the terminal and just waiting for God to intervene. And he, and, he, and he never did in the way that I thought he would. And we walked from the terminal to the, to the exit of the airport and from the airport to the parking garage. And as we're walking, it just felt like something was wrong. And we got in the car. It was myself and my wife, Beth, and our older daughter, our, our daughter, Hannah. And we got in the van, shut the door, and we all just for about an hour just wept. And just, just felt conflicted. And I can even remember the days that followed thinking, why would God take that child who we just believe was supposed to be our daughter? And, and after several months, I remember God just kind of laying on my heart, man, that, 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 that maybe the purpose wasn't to bring her into our home, but maybe the purpose was to share the gospel with her that the reality is there are worse things than growing up as an orphan. Even as an orphan in a third world country, there are worse things than being poor and worse things than being homeless. And that's being spiritually dead and separated from God and not ever hearing that there's an opportunity to know God and not be separated from God. There's an opportunity to know the gospel. And so maybe our role with Kate was just to share the gospel with her. And to give her that hope, we were able to give her a Latvian Bible. We were able to give her an MP3 player with worship music on there and gospel music on there. 
There's things that are far worse from growing up in an orphanage, and that's growing up separate from Christ and spending eternity as separated from God. If we don't lead our families to Jesus and don't see that as most important and don't lead those around us to Jesus and don't believe that that discipleship starts at home, no one else will. Listen, young people, kids, if you're in here, I have a question for you to go home and ask your parents. You ready? Everybody looking. Kids, around the room, look here. Got a question. You can write it down or you can just remember it. Here's the question. Mom, dad, who and how does our family, excuse me, how does our family boast in the Lord? Mom, dad, how does our family boast in the Lord? In what we do, how do we boast in the Lord? Go home and ask that question and talk about it today. Let them tell you about why they love God. Let me end with one more, one more story. Um, uh, let me go fast. Um, years ago, uh, there's a story that's written in the book, Insanity of God. Um, there was a man who became a believer in Russia. Um, when he became a believer in Russia, um, he started discipling his family at home, just like we're talking about. He started reading the Bible, singing hymns, praying with his family at home. Well, he lived in a very poor community where uh, there weren't a lot of windows, and so people would walk by and they would hear. Well, this was communist Russia. Uh, he's sharing the gospel with his family, and, and soon neighbors heard, and instead of reporting him, they began to join. And what, what started with discipling his family at home began to disciple his neighbors at home. And all of a sudden, he's got 50, 100, 200 people showing up to his home, leaning into the windows of his home to hear the gospel. Unbelievable. Well, the authorities find out, communist Russia, and they come in and say, you can't do that. If you do it, we're going to arrest you. Well, his name was Dimitri. Dimitri says, I, I can't stop. I can't stop. And, and I can't stop doing this. And they say, well, we're going to come back next week. And if all these people are here and you're preaching the gospel, we're going to arrest you. So the next week they show up. Dimitri's preaching the gospel and singing hymns. And they arrest Dimitri in front of the entire church. They, they drag him away to a prison thousands of miles away from his home and his family. And he gets there and he spends the next 20 to 25 years in prison. And every day... The, the account goes, every day they would drag him out and they would say, hey, if you'll deny Christ, man, we'll let you go. And every day for years he wouldn't and they would torture him and they would torment him and, then, and they decided to get really just awful and they went in after 15 or 20 years and said, hey, listen, we've, we've, we've murdered your family. All of your kids, your wives, your neighbors, they're all dead. And it, and it broke something in Dimitri. And that night he looked at the guard and said, hey, tomorrow, if you bring that paper to me, I'll deny that there's, that there's a Christ. I just can't imagine. Well, in the night, apparently, he just felt overwhelmed that night that the Lord asked him to pray. And so he began to pray, and the Lord gave him a vision that his family was safe and his family was alive. So he, he walks out that morning as, the, as they come in with the paper for him to sign to deny Christ, and he says, I will not do it. I will not do it. And they just don't understand what is going on in this guy. And here's what he says. Dimitri says to them, if my family were hung and killed, as you say, while I was in prison, I would be the proudest father in prison. 20 plus years. Man, 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 let that just sit over you for a few minutes. Dimitri would say, if my family were hung while I was in prison, if they were killed while I was in prison for the gospel, then I would be the proudest father in this prison. Listen, discipleship starts at home. It starts with you. And what is driving you? What is at the core that drives you? Is it the gospel or is it something else? I mean, our prayer here at Refuge and my prayer as a pastor 
is that you would see that discipleship at home starts with you, and then it starts with those who God has put in your life. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word and the time to honor you and glorify you. We pray that you would convict and you would give us the courage and boldness to make disciples at home. God, we need you and we love you. Amen.